Hello and welcome to Stories from the Ridge, Macaulay's podcast series. I'm Lee Burns, head of school, and in this episode of Stories from the Ridge, we delve once again into one of my favorite topics, boys, how they learn, and the issues facing them in today's ever-changing world. In December, we hosted Dr. Richard Reeves, who heads the Boys and Men Project of the Brookings Institute, and who's written a best-selling book on the topic called Of Boys and Men, Why the Modern Male is Struggling, why it matters, and what to do about it. It was a great conversation, and if you haven't listened to the podcast, I encourage you to do so. I looked at that conversation with Dr. Reeves as the 35,000-foot view of issues facing boys. In this follow-up conversation, we take a closer ground-level view, talking to two experts who deal with the struggles, and yes, the joys too, that boys face every day. Joining me in this conversation is David Thomas, Director of Family Counseling at Daystar Counseling Ministries in Nashville, and Glenn Brazil, Director of Camp Alpine for Boys in Mentone, Alabama. These two men, as I said, deal with boys on a daily basis. They know and understand boys, and the conversation with them is eye-opening. David is the author of 10 books, including the bestseller, Wild Things, The Art of Nurturing Boys, and is a host of a popular podcast called Raising Boys and Girls, which I encourage everyone to listen to. Just do a podcast search for raising boys and girls. He's a sought-after speaker, and I'm glad to call him a good friend. An equally good friend is Glenn Brazil, who's a director of one of the nation's top camps for boys, Alpine Camp. And I might add, a camp that many Macaulay students have attended, and many faculty have worked there as well. Glenn has served on the staff at Alpine since 1997, and as you'll hear, through the lens of a camp for boys, he has a unique view of how boys learn and grow in today's world. Glenn joins me in the Macaulay Podcast Studio and David joins via Zoom audio from his studio in Nashville. Well, it's such a joy to be here with uh, David and Glenn. And as we talk about issues that boys and young men and men are facing today, um, you know, to follow on the conversation that we had with Richard Reeves back a couple of months ago about issues that boys and men are facing in our society and just particularly ways in which they're not flourishing and the trajectory and trend lines have been in a negative direction in recent years and in the last several decades even. Um, I want to talk about, first of all, ask you, as you think about what he's said, does that seem, does that seem on point? Is that overly dramatic? Um, what do you, David, what do you see in your, in your work um, with boys? What, what's going on with them? Well, I want to say right out of the gate, before I even respond to that question, it it is a genuine honor to be in conversation with this group of amazing folks that I respect and admire. So thank you for inviting me into just talking with you all about this incredibly important topic. And Lee, I would say absolutely it feels on point. I wish it felt less on point. I wish some of those things were less true, but that certainly aligns with so much of what I've seen in my work and and even thinking about having done this work as a therapist working with boys and adolescent males for 25 years, how different things look now than they did on the front side of my work. And, you know, I, I think about even the classic example of it is common that I intersect with adolescent boys weekly who have a lot of fear about getting their driver's license, a lot of fear about asking a girl to a dance, a lot of fear about interviewing for their first part-time job. Well, early in my work, 
I don't I don't have a single memory of an adolescent boy who wasn't chomping at the bit to get his driver's license. You know, there was something so exciting about that milestone. But obviously, as the three of us know, there's a lot of risk involved in stepping out in those places, asking a girl to a dance, getting my driver's license, those kind of things. And I'm seeing less evidence of boys wanting to take what I call healthy risk, which is one of the many reasons I'm always excited to intersect with the amazing man you're seated next to and how much I have long respected and admired the work of Alpine camp and, and that they provide this beautiful context for boys to experience healthy risk. And I don't think we can flood boys with enough of those kind of opportunities or else to your question, I think we will just see those scary stats growing and growing and growing. And Glenn, in your work in directing Camp Alpine, I think you know, Macaulay and Camp Alpine have a great, I think, share a lot of similar DNA and a lot of faculty and boys over the years who've experienced both. Um, but David is talking about the fear and the need to expose boys to um, healthy risk-taking and a sense of adventure. What, what do you see and what are some ways that we can let boys experience those sorts of things? Yeah, absolutely. And I, I would add too, it's just an honor and a privilege to be with you too. And, and we do at Alpine feel a big kinship with Macaulay. And um, I have to say, even as I drove on campus a few minutes ago, it made my heart uh, do good to see a, there was a group of middle school boys playing out in the rain they, in, in, in just in a circle, <laughs> kicking a ball around. And, you know, in a lot of a lot of places that would be seen as, well, we should bring him inside. And it just, it, it reminded me of being at Alpine. But, and then David, uh, David does our staff training uh, at Alpine and just think the world of him. But he also knows that uh, he's, he's the number two Thomas at Alpine. His son, Witt, uh, was a counselor <laughs> last summer and uh, holds the distinction of the, the most important Thomas uh, at, at camp. But I um, am more than okay with that order. <laughs> yeah, we love we love Whit Thomas, but we're grateful for David and his contribution at Alpine. But uh, you know, I would say in terms of boys taking healthy risk, um, I, I was thinking about um, actually we had we had a group from Macaulay out last week as a part of your tornado term, and I got to uh, got to go on a horseback ride. They, it was a horseback T term, and and I, they invited me to go out for a horseback ride, and we had this we had this scenario where there were two trail rides, and we came upon each other unknowingly uh, during the trail ride and the horses you know there's something about being on a 2,000 pound animal uh, that you you know you have some control over but you don't have full control over and some of the horses were uh, you know even bucking a little bit and getting feisty and to see the boys you know it was almost like when we got back from that trail ride they were emboldened because it, you know everybody was fine and it worked out fine but there was that risk there like what we're not quite sure what might happen. And so um, I even thought about it. That, that's an example of it that uh, I think doing things, you know, what we try to do at Alpine is allow boys. We know that boys are going to take a risk, right? I mean, it's just part of our part of our DNA. And so how can we structure activities at Alpine where boys get to take healthy risk? I, I have the easy job of the three of us because the job at Alpine is just to come and come and play, you know, they don't, they don't have to do math or English or, uh, you know, sit down with a session, you know, with David. And so, uh, but that's, that's our goal is to provide that. And David, you were talking some earlier about fear and you see more fear and hesitation in boys today than before. What's underlying that fear? What's, what's really uh, going on? Do you think that, that causes boys to be more fearful today? Mm. 
I would say I think one thread of that speaks to the great conversation you all started in that last episode where you talked about the fact that we just don't really have a, a clear, accurate definition of masculinity. And so I think boys grow into this space feeling uncertain. And then often, you know, if we if we think about how scary the stats are for boys and adolescent males, we have to acknowledge, sadly, they're every bit as scary for adult men. You know, we as adult men lead the stats for infidelity, internet pornography, substance abuse, suicide, these really scary categories. And I would say the common denominator in those being that it is a man's attempt to try to numb out or avoid whatever it is that he's feeling and experiencing. And so I think if those things are true about adult men, I think boys have fewer pictures of what it looks like to move into healthy masculinity in this world. And so I have concerns on both ends of the spectrum. Now, as as much as I have concerns, I think it's where I get so excited about this kind of conversation with the two of you, because I also have a lot of hope when we come together mm-hmm. in dialogue in this way to think about, OK, what could we be doing on the front side of development to equip boys differently, to give them those kinds of pictures, you know, to create the kinds of opportunities we're talking around. And I think we you know, for all the things I love and respect about what you are doing at Macaulay, I think what a gift that daily boys are bumping up against adult, great adult women and great adult men to have the opportunity to see what adulthood looks like, you know, have a vision for that. And I think, Glenn, what you're offering boys in the summer, that they have the opportunity to look around and there are countless college age young men who are growing in their faith, who are growing emotionally, who are open about their experience in ways that it just gives boys a vision for what it could look like in a world where I think boys have fewer examples of that than ever before. Yeah, I agree with you so much, David. And I think you know, one of the most important things we can do is give boys a definition and a vision of what is what does manhood look like? And I think so often it's it can just be about, well, you know, making you know, making a lot of money or your your reputation or or career or you know th- those sorts of things in the end are you know, are hollow and I think also there's so much um, I think a lot our society I think gives boys and men a lot of negative um, definitions and vision for for manhood today and if you ask boys today what's it mean to be a man a lot they they can be very confused about that yeah that's I was going to say and in some ways I don't know that. Um boys have changed in their insecurities and their questions over the years. I, I thought Reeves book was fantastic, but maybe the culture and the inundation, you know, with the advent of technology and, and just um, sort of culturally where we are that they're boys are asking, what does it mean to be a man? And uh, we had a, I love the idea of sort of catching a vision of someone older and a uh, quick story um, that maybe brings that home uh, last summer uh, had a rising 10th grader, so an oldest, the oldest age group at camp as a camper. And um, this, this young man was maybe a little more immature, and he kept asking his counselor, uh, you know, do you, do you smoke, do you drink, do you do drugs? And, he, and, and most of the time when that happens, the, the boy is just sort of trying to get the college-age counselor to sort of maybe give some lurid details of his personal life, and it's not really a, a true question. And so... But this boy wouldn't give up, and he kept asking his counselor to, you know, personal questions. And so finally the counselor – and so the counselor appropriately at first sort of deflected and said, we're not going to talk about my personal life. Finally the counselor sat down 
with the boy and said, tell me, you know, tell me more about why, why you're asking these questions and sort of had a conversation. And it turns out this uh, rising 10th grader had experimented with, with, you know, multiple substances and um, turns out sort of the models in his life, maybe some older siblings, that was the model that he had seen of what it meant to be a man is sort of, this is the way you might take risk. And so they had this, and, and he was seeing in this sort of cool college-age counselor, there's something different about this guy. And so he, he was really actually, he didn't know it, but he was asking, like, how are you the way that you are? And is this a, yeah. is this a possible vision for a different way of sort of living my life? Yeah. So It's great to have those sort of conversations. And one of the many things I appreciate about Macaulay is the, the, the types of conversations and the vulnerability Mm-hmm. that boys can express and experience. Now, so I think so often as you know, boys and as men, we're conditioned and accustomed to being you know, carefully guarded and not you know, all that emotionally fluent and vulnerable and so forth. But providing boys safe places where they can be themselves, um, say, hey, I'm scared, I don't understand this, um, I need help. And I think you know, a Camp Alpine, I think a, a Macaulay, there are other organizations as well, but it can be safe places that where boys can experience that. And I'm sure, you know, David, as boys counsel with you, I'm, I know that you're a, a place where they can really explore who they are and be vulnerable with you. And, and what do you see in terms of sort of the, the authenticity and the vulnerability that boys need and, and can experience? I think to the great story that Glenn just shared, I think we can't flood boys with enough opportunities to see evidence of what that looks like on someone older than them, what it looks like, not just to be vulnerable and to be honest, but the benefits of that. I think that's something, you know, as we think about these social constructs of masculinity, we just don't invite boys into the benefit of that. You know, we may talk about those scary stats I mentioned a little bit earlier of what happens when you don't develop those skills, but we don't talk a lot about the beauty of what happens when you do. And, you know, I think about that great, Frederick Douglass quote of, you know, it's easier to build strong children than to repair broken men. And I think there again, this kind of conversation that we could think about how we invite boys into more of that. I had a conversation recently with a dad in my office and he had played uh, professional sports and he said, you know, David, I have realized the deeper I've gotten into marriage and parenting that all through my life, kind of the messaging I got from the men around me when they weren't even aware they were communicating this was, you know, don't feel and don't ask for help. And then I moved into this space professionally where they actually trained me. You know, I had to learn what it meant to be on the pitcher's mound and show no evidence of struggle whatsoever. I didn't want the guy at bat to think I was struggling in any way. So he said, I have had to work against all of what I've learned that is not helping me in the context of marriage and parenting. Like I need help. That's why I'm sitting in your office right now. You know, I've got to figure out what's going on inside of me in these different moments when things get stirred in my, in me, in response to my kids. And I thought a lot about what he was saying and how I think that is quite honestly, the messaging that I think many boys, most boys get throughout development and how we we are going to always have to be working against that because all of us know as adult men, like, it's necessary to figure out how you feel it's it's needed and necessary that i can articulate my experience and then i can ask for help i don't have everything figured out i need a doctor for my physical health i need a pastor for my spiritual health i need 
counselors and mentors for my emotional health, all these different categories of life that we have trained boys in many ways through our messaging to think, I don't need help. I'm supposed to have all this figured out on my own. And so I just don't think we could put a spotlight on the story that Glenn shared enough and creating those kinds of opportunities for that kind of honesty and the health of asking for help. As you think about the last 10 or 12 years or so, What's different, Glenn, about what you see in boys at Camp Alpine, if anything, and particularly in light of, you know, technology, screen time, and then COVID from several years ago? Kind of what's what's different in the in the air and the environment and so forth, and what impact is that having on boys? Yeah, we've seen the biggest impact and sort of I guess increase in anxiety in the 16 to 22 year old set. So really mostly our staff and counselors on um, the last few years coming out of COVID. And I think that's, that's been a, a change. Uh, I've been doing this about 20 years full time. And that's been the biggest change to, is to see the, these guys that, it, you know, are the leaders that are struggling with anxiety. And, and I don't, I don't know. And David could probably speak to this better if in some, some of that's a good thing. I don't know if it's, so much an increase in actual anxiety or if it's just we have a, a better awareness surrounding mental health now and so boys are, are you know young men are able to sort of ask for help and so that's sort of the increase but even um with technology you know the other other marker that we sort of we call you know homesickness because we're a sleepaway camp and you could call homesickness sort of anxiety in, in a form and and Traditionally, you know, you think of homesickness as being sort of the youngest boys, the seven to ten year olds, and they miss mom, they miss their their dog. But we've seen that completely change in the last few years, and most of the boys that now get quote homesick are probably more in the eleven to ten to fourteen year old set. And it's not really missing mom; it's like it's that whole FOMO thing that we all know about. You know, like I'm I'm missing out playing video games at home with my friends or uh, the sports team that my buddies are on or whatever it may be. Um, and so there's, a, and there's an adjustment there that we're having to learn and think about how do we help boys make that adjustment. So, David, what about you? What are you seeing as some changes in recent years with boys? I would agree with all of that. And, and to say, to only add to that, that I have long been concerned about screens and substances those two things in particular and where i am seeing those two uniquely stand in the way of boys growth and development i I talk a lot about how you know the common denominator there screens and substances are both for numbing not really for navigating life and that you know I've long talked about how important I think it is for boys of all ages to just come up against the discomfort of life. I I heard it said not long ago that discomfort is the price of admission to a meaningful life. And I think we'd all agree that's 100% true. But if I don't learn to navigate discomfort, all the discomfort, and that's going to look one way when you're 10 and another way when you're 20, I'm really not prepared for life. And if I'm gravitating towards screens and substances as a way of kind of numbing out because I can't deal with that, as opposed to to the great story Glenn just told, you know, I want boys to experience being homesick, being mm. hot, trying foods I don't like, you know, figuring out what to do when my horse isn't cooperating to the earlier story Glenn told, you know, all these different moments that we know start to build these important emotional muscles that boys are going to need all throughout life. But if we aren't building and strengthening those on the front side of development, it's where those 
scary stats about adult men never surprise me. And and where, again, I just feel so passionate about us really leaning into that early into a boy's growth. Yeah. And I think all three of us are parents, and I think there can be a tendency, I know there is with me, and I think with a lot of parents, to want to you know, rescue our children, to solve things for them, for fix things for them. And certainly we need to be there to provide you know, guards and you know, provide in all kinds of ways. And yet I think we can, you know, sometimes parents can overdo that and prevent, you know, our children from really learning and growing through that, through the, through difficulties and discomforts. And, and David, I'd be curious sort of tips that you might have for, for parents as they think about, you know, raising their children in today's world. You know, Glenn mentioned anxiety. Anxiety is now considered to be a childhood epidemic in our country. We have the highest numbers we've ever had. The current stats are one in four kids, one in three adolescents. And the anxiety research would tell us, Lee, to your question, that the two biggest traps that a parent can step into are escape and avoidance. We see our kids struggling in some way, and the greatest tendency, understandably so for us as parents, is I kind of want to extract you from that. I see you struggling going into that sports practice. Let's just stop the sport altogether. You know, that subject seems really hard for you. Let's just change your schedule. And you know, the definition we talk a lot about in our practice with anxiety is that anxiety is an overestimation of the situation and an underestimation of myself. The problem's too big. I'm too small. And if we're always as parents moving toward escape and avoidance, again, even in moments where I'm not aware I'm doing it, I'm in essence confirming that definition. You're right. That sport is way too scary. That class is way too difficult and you're not capable. And we want to be moving against that definition. We want to be sending the opposite message to kids to say, no, you are capable. That situation may be hard, but it's not too big and you are capable. But I think unless we lean in enough as parents, as people who care for kids, we can end up you know, feeding and fueling that definition and confirming through the patterns of escape and avoidance that, yes, this world is way too scary. These opportunities are too big and, and you're just not yeah. capable. What are some things that um, societal institutions can do to really help boys? We're talking about you know, schools, churches, communities, and so forth. What what do you think are some things that that we can be doing you know, broadly as a society at the institutional level that will really help boys and young men and men to flourish more. Yeah, well, I was uh, thinking about your previous question a little bit too, and I think one of the things that I think as a as parents, and I struggle with this too. I mean, I work with boys for a living, but I have kids, and you want to you know you want to take your kids out of trouble or whatever. But as parents, keeping the um, keeping the end goal in mind, which is we are raising our children to leave us. So they're going to have to navigate hard things. Um, but I think in, in terms of boys to your question about what institutions can do, I think one of the things we say that we're doing at Alpine is we're sort of allowing them to practice life. You know, there's sort of like, it's almost like a play where they're rehearsing life. And so I think as institutions for boys, particularly, um, I think Macaulay does a great job of this, but are there spaces where I guess you would call it free play? You know, you think about um, we're so structured. I mean, our, you know, um, yeah, we're just so structured in our culture today. So I think obviously with guardrails and boundaries, like you said, Lee, but are there places where boys can just have free play? I mean, some of the best times at Alpine are after a huge rainstorm 
and we can't really play on the fields or whatever because they're too wet. And so we just say to the team sports class, just go to the wet weather stream, you know, <laughs> down below the field and just, and you'll walk by and the boys are just, but they're, rehear- you know, what they don't know is they're like learning, you know, they're rehearsing for life, but yeah. they're just down there building a, you know, a dam in the wet weather stream and right. they're arguing a little bit, sure, but they're having a blast. Yeah. And, you know, I think boys are, um, I mean, boys, generally speaking, are very hands-on and energetic mm-hmm. and messy and loud and and you know, have this spirit in their heart of wanting an adventure and to take risks. And I think so often in society, even in our schools, we so often say, no, 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 you got to color inside the lines, be quiet, be still. And I think a lot of times our institutions aren't naturally aligned with sort of the natural wiring you know, that God has given boys. And, it, and it's a real frustration. I think part of that is why if you look at, you know, how boys are doing in, you know, High, in school at all levels, even through college, they're they're underperforming, they're disengaging, they're dropping out, and I think a lot of times it's because it just it's just not well situated for them, and there hasn't been a lot of meaningful study around. Okay, you know, how does the male brain work? What's a developmental sequence and pattern for boys and men? And it's in many cases different. It's not better. It's not worse than girls and women, but it's just different. And I don't think we honor boys enough by really understanding them and giving them these environments and schooling situations where they're like, Hey, this feels right. This, this fits. And I really love the way things are structured for me. I would agree. And, and Lee, it's where I'm so thankful for spaces like Macaulay and environments where, you know, educators are thinking about how can we fold in more movement and more collaborative learning, more experiential learning to match his hardwiring. And how can we think, intentionally in the summers about creating the kind of opportunities like Glenn's naming. You know, I was thinking, Glenn, when you were talking about dress rehearsal for life, the other thing I love that boys are going to get at camp is, you know, practice for what it will be like to have a roommate in college. You know, when your bunkmate kind of gets on your nerves from time to time or (laughs) doesn't keep his room in the same way you would, I think it, it fascinates me. There's a discomfort that I see a lot of boys struggling in that sense that they've never had to navigate being in close proximity to someone like that to share as all three of us know a small amount of space for a long period of time when you're in college. And so all these practice opportunities, one that I would add to the list to answer your questions that I've long been an advocate of boys having part-time jobs, you know, in my ideal world, I'd love by the time a boy graduated from high school, he'd had at least one part-time job, even if it's not paid, just volunteering some space where he's learning to work under other authority and clock in and clock out and get feedback and develop a lot of the skills that we're talking about and coming up against a lot of the hard and the discomfort and figuring out how to navigate those situations that I think also feeds this strong hunger for purpose that I think is hardwired into who we are. We, I think boys hunger for risk and adventure and they have a strong craving for purpose and I think are their best selves when they intersect with a healthy sense of purpose. I don't think we can offer enough of that to boys. Let me use that as a segue. uh, David, you're talking about purpose. Think about sort of bigger picture from a, a faith perspective and spiritual growth and development and so forth. What do you what do you see as the role of sort of having that faith, the bigger bigger purpose? Thinking about hey, life's about more than just me. And obviously, Macaulay, we talk about, a lot about honor, truth, and duty. And our motto is man's chief end is to glorify God and to enjoy Him forever. So that's you know that's a that's the that's foundational. To Macaulay, but what just ha- what do you, what do the two of you see as sort of the role that so that bigger purpose, faith, spiritual development can play for boys and men? 
yeah, we often say the uh, the secret of Alpine is that the the staff ends up gaining more than the campers because when you're serving, you're sort of a part of something greater than yourself to sort of uh, back to what David was talking about. Boys need that purpose and that sense of I'm doing something outside of myself. And I think that's even more needed today as, as boys tend to go inward so much because they are inundated by so many messages and questions about who they are as a man. So to be able to have a space, um, where they feel like they're a part of something that's bigger than themselves. And I think that, um, you know, in terms of, in terms of a faith sort of aspect of that, I mean, I think, um, being able to, to, to receive that, but also to give that in some ways as a role model is a huge uh, part of what a boy needs uh, as they grow. I agree with that. And I, heard someone speak recently who talked about the stats and and you all I won't remember the exact number but it was a scary number in the millions of males between the age of 18 and 34 who are still living at home mm. not in school or not employed and this individual was quick to say you know the assumption that I think a lot of folks would make is okay well they're maybe not in traditional institutions but they are in trade schools. And he said, I want to be very clear in saying that's just not true. Those numbers don't reflect that to be a reality. And so what that means to our question is just those males are not experiencing a sense of purpose in any way. Like I'm a student and I'm working toward this. I'm an employee and I contribute in this way. And I think boys are their best selves when they feel like the things that I do in this world matter to someone. And, and I can see evidence of my contribution. And I think we're the least ourselves when we can't touch that in some way. And I think those scary stats speak to that reality. And that concerns me, not just for those young men and adult men, but that concerns me for our world in general. That concerns me for females in so many different ways as well. And so I think there are just layers and layers of concern to stumble upon that kind of data and realize how many males aren't intersecting with a sense of purpose in this world. And I think one of the things I liked about, one of the things I really identified with in Reeves' book, he talked about, uh, you know, the, the, the great advances that, that we have made for women, you know, in the workforce and in, in academics. And maybe we haven't sort of caught up on the other side of the scale for boys. In fact, he said, I'm going to read it. He said, um, the role of mothers has expanded to include breadwinning as well as caregiving. So what we would traditionally think of maybe as a, uh, you know, domestic duties, but the role of fathers has not been expanded to include caregiving as well as breadwinning. And so I think there are some, there are some males out there that are sort of lost as, as women in good ways have sort of moved into some of the spaces that we would traditionally think in the workforce for males. And so I think we have to provide men with the vision back to our earlier of, you know, you, there are, there are many ways to sort of be a man. And part of that, again, I'm biased cause I run a camp, but for, for our counselors to, you know, to do things that are maybe traditionally considered more nurturing sort of motherly things, you know, changing wet sheets and, um, it, taking care, you know, just doing all the mundane things that domestically taking care of boys in a cabin to catch a vision for, you know, dad, dads matter and we need we need men and dads that are that are strong but also can can sort of be vulnerable and empathetic with their children absolutely and i think boys today are just are hungry for for mentors not just yeah. boys young yes. men and i think one of the things that 
is most special about Macaulay is I think just the the mentoring and the relationships that are here. And um, and David, you would know this statistic better than I. I probably don't have this exactly right, but I remember hearing years ago that the number one predictor of someone you know not abusing substances is having at least one significant mentor in their life. Do I have that? Absolutely. Is that right? Absolutely. Yeah. Yes. And that's just and so critical. It is. And, and fascinating data around, you know, what happens to the conversation we're sharing right now when kids have at least one parent who has an active faith. It's amazing what the stats look like for that individual. Again, you know, a sense of, I have a vision. I have a picture of kind of what it looks like to move through life to acknowledge that I have needs, to realize that I'm not capable of meeting all those needs on my own and I wasn't designed to, that I need community, I need God. And how desperately I think boys, adolescent males and adult men are needing to see that right now more than ever. Well, and I think the faith piece gives us a vision, again, as boys are inundated with so many questions about what does it mean to be a man that if you know in this space if the faith piece if you look at someone like king david i've been reading about you know he he embodied sort of the courageous sort of you know he was a, a fierce warrior but he also played the harp <laughs> you know and so there's <laughs> there's this i you know i think if if you think about it in terms of faith it gives you this vision for someone like david who um can can sort of um have a wide range of sort of gifts and abilities. And uh, so. I think the only thing that, that I would add, and, and we began touching on this and it was probably one of my favorite parts of the conversation you shared earlier was reminding folks that when we have this kind of conversation, you know, to discuss the cause of boys, we're no less committed to the cause of women and girls. And I think mm. here we sit, the three of us, we're all fathers of daughters. Like we are fully committed to every opportunity being available to the girls and the women we love. And so to highlight this conversation, to have this kind of conversation, to lean in in these ways, it's not, it's not one or the other. We can still be fully committed to both. And so it's weirdly, I'm, I am so thankful you are opening up this kind of dialogue. Well, this is so wonderful, you know, having this conversation with the two of you and um, David, just so appreciative, long admired the great work that you're doing, you know, up in Nashville and beyond with, you know, boys and girls and the great books you've written and, and, you know, Glenn, just the great work that Alpine, the great blessing that's been to generations of boys and young men and that that work continues and just grateful to sort of share this conversation with the two of you as we think about, you know, how do we bring out the best in our boys and young men. And so thank you so much uh, for your time and uh, have a great day. Great to be with you guys. Thank you both. Thank you. listening to Stories from the Ridge, a podcast series about the happenings of the faculty, students, and alumni of Macaulay School. Stories from the Ridge is produced by the Macaulay Communications Department. 
If you have any comments or if you have suggestions for a future podcast, please let us know by sending an email to info at macaulay.org. That's info at M-C-C-A-L-L-I-E dot org. Or call us at 423-493-5615. I'm Deanna Luna with the Macaulay Communications Department. Thanks for listening.